Ladies, gentlemen, and otherwise, I would like to welcome you to How Not to Start a Damn Brewery, the podcast. I am your host, Kelly KFM Meyer, and I consider myself lucky that any of you are even here. In January 2020, I began writing a book outlining all the gory mistakes that I had made since my wife and I founded our brewery eight years earlier. The second edition of that book is at 57,000 words and available on Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback formats. Please check it out, pick it up, read it, share it with a friend. The show has the same name as that book simply because my goal here is to help my guests to experience the same catharsis I did after laying my story out in public, and because I know that the lessons I wrote about were only the tip of an enormous iceberg. If you like the show, please remember to subscribe, like, write a review, share with a friend. Trust me, it all really helps. In this podcast, I will interview people in and around the beer business to uncover the mistakes, the pitfalls, and the hardships that all of us poor souls in the brewing industry have had the misfortune to experience. My guests will autopsy dead and dying breweries, break down the science of brewing, and dissect the art of marketing. I'll talk to distributors, retailers, beer writers, even a fan or two. Hell, I'll shove a mic in front of anyone I think can make you better in your business. This is open and honest conversation packed with emotion and sincerity, and hopefully, a little bit of fucking vulgarity. I want to thank you for joining my guests and I on this journey, and I truly hope together that we are able to teach you and your loved ones how not to start a damn brewery. Our guest today is Dave Fougeron from Southern Star Brewing Company in Conroe, Texas. By now, you know that my focus is interviewing struggling and failing beer businesses so that you and I can learn from their mistakes. I want to assure you that that is not even close to the reason I had Dave on the show today. No, see, I reached out to Dave so that he could tell us what we've all done wrong and hopefully how we can fix it. See, Dave's brewery has been around since the late 2000s, and he has been a strong force in Texas craft beer ever since. He's one of those patriarchs of craft beer that has helped define the marketplace that the rest of us has simply been playing in. No, so I figured we'd go under his hood, break down all his moving parts, his well-oiled systems, and identify all the special modifications he's made that have made his business work so well. Instead of learning from his mistakes, we learn from his successes so that we could take that valuable knowledge back to our own business, apply it, and get just a little success of our own. Of course, nothing is ever that easy. So do you ride motorcycles? Because if you do, you want the sickest gear on the planet. And SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com is the site for you. Break free from the pack with your kick-ass style and design that is as subtle as a sucker punch. When you're out on the open road, don't let anyone confuse you with your grandpa. Project an attitude that's all your own. With their signature style and performance, Simpson sets the standard of looking cool while providing superior comfort and protection. Authenticity counts, and there are many helmet brands out there, but there is only one Simpson. You ride a killer bike, don't you? Why settle for a boring helmet? Pick your poison at SimpsonMotorcycleHelmets.com. Badass riders don't settle for anything less. See for yourself on Instagram at Simpson underscore motorcycle underscore helmets. Thanks for riding with us. We'll see you out there. So thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing. And uh, most of all, thanks for giving a big-ass fuck about all these people we're about to help in the beer industry. <laughs> I got to be honest with you, I'm actually a little bit nervous about this interview simply because everybody else I've interviewed so far um, has sort of been in the same boat as me. We've all been uh, either on the verge of collapse or have collapsed. And you're sort of the patriarch of Texas craft beer. You and a couple other guys were there in the beginning. So... Um, and at the end of the day, I'm expecting at the end of this podcast to sit back and be like, wow, those are the lessons Dave gave us. But let's just get to the point. 
what are we all doing fucking wrong? Man, if I knew that, um, cause I'm doing a lot of things wrong too. Uh, you know, I just, uh, kind of a little bit of my background. I started as a production brewer, uh, at St. Arnold and worked there for eight years and then broke off and started this place. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just brewing. I still don't really know what I'm doing. And now I'm not brewing much anymore. I'm sitting in the office trying to figure out how to fuck numbers come together. And uh, I wish I would have got a degree in business instead of wildlife and fishery sciences. Yeah, we were talking about that last night with some, a friend of mine. I've never heard of a single beer school that has any idea of the business side. Like, they don't teach you distributor relations or... Um, setting price points for your products. Like they'll teach you how to make beer and extract extract from uh, grains, but that's yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You gotta kind of figure the rest of that stuff out on your own, which is or a not. daunting <laughs> task or not. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I know a lot more than I did when I started for sure. But uh, you know, and I and I was in the industry, so I saw some of that. You know, I saw that. You know, from my perspective. Brewers and distributors didn't get along, and I wanted to change that for sure. When I when we first started distributing, we started self distributing beer. Uh, Did you? Yeah, when we were little, we were really little, uh, probably for the first year or so, and then uh, after that, we uh, um, we picked up a distributor, and we kind of that's what really lit the fire for us because we were able to drive it. I mean, we're pretty much just in the woodlands at when we were starting, and then I drove. Uh, I'd, I would rent a rider truck and drive a whole thing of beer down to specs and then i drove a whole thing of pine a whole truckload of pine belt to austin one time which was kind of cool well i say it's cool i, I pulled out and, and i made the first turn and i heard all the beer go over in the truck fuck me so i had to like turn around and <laughs> we spent the whole next day restacking it and then you know very heavily shrink wrapping it just to make it what two and a half hours to yeah. get to austin yeah, yeah. but I, I made it like out of the parking lot <laughs> so fuck I'm sure you got a bunch of those, and I can't wait to get into some of those stories. Oh, yeah. Lots of them. So, that's actually a great kind of lead into how did you get started? So, obviously, you're a production brewer at St. Arnold, and you said, I want to go open a facility. So, did you just happen to win the lottery or? No, we started very, very shoestringy. Um, this is 07, right? Yeah, this is 07. There was nobody opening breweries then, and the prices of stainless was like at an all-time high. And... Uh, <laughs> Farbstein called me and he's like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Because I was like, well, because, you know, whatever. So, do you have any tanks or what? And he did. So, I bought some of his tanks. All of our money came from pretty much, um, it was family money. So, my father, you know, had some to invest. But we started the whole brewery off with well under $100,000. Do you remember what size it was? Yeah, it was a 15, it was a 15 barrel brew house, which really? was nice. But it was... Um, it was a two-vessel, 15-barrel Creveller, and it came with about 20 seconds of shaky footage, you know, of how to put it together. And and I was like, well, that's not helpful at all. So, I was just in a conundrum. and Because oh, you couldn't go to YouTube and look up videos? Right. You yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay. You know, I'm sitting there, and I was like, I know how to put – I know what I need it to do. So, uh, <laughs> my business partner at the time, I was sitting there and I was just, he could tell us this straw. He walked up to me and he handed me a joint. He said, smoke this. <laughs> and he did. And then I did. And it worked. And I put together the brew house. Uh-huh. There was a couple of pieces to where I had to get fabbed, you know, but I luckily, I know a welder up here that does stainless, really well, really good stainless work. So I was like, all right, Richard, I need to connect this to this and this to this, and this needs to go here. And I need a valve right here. And he was like, no problem. So he put it all together and it worked. Wow. Wow. Didn't, had no idea how to put together a boiler system. My dad and I um, actually cut all of the steel 
and threaded all the steel and put together the boiler system without knowing what the fuck we were doing. Like you ran the steam lines to everything? Yeah. And the water lines and the glycol lines and all the lines. That was one of those things that, you know, and just a million things when you're starting a brewery that you're like, wait, it costs how much? We got, you know, the typical RFP. Um, we went to three different places and let's get three different quotes on steam lines. Right. The price for us ranged from twelve grand to thirty grand. Yeah, I was like, "How is how is there seventeen thousand dollars worth of like extras that could be?" Uh, I don't think there is. I think it's mostly labor, and yeah. that's why. I mean, and that's how we did it. We, uh, you know, we even cut um, we cut our own drains and trenched them out. You know, jack In the floor. Yeah, <laughs> and it was hot as shit. So it was the middle of the summer when we were doing that. We're in there at like three o'clock in the morning. You know, with a jackhammer. Just burr- and like I look up and there's these police standing at the door and I looked over I was like can I help you and they were like what are y'all doing <laughs> I was like and we had like this big J just jackhammered out I wanted to say something snarky but yeah uh, at our old place there was a police station right uh, across the like at the end of the parking lot it was so they came over and they were like you know who the hell is jackhammering a floor at three o'clock in the morning so obviously you decided to open a brewery wild did you just make some amazing beer when you were at st arnold that you were like man this should be my baby or did you just no um i got i left my job for one of the dumbest reasons ever i was uh, well join the club yeah i think everybody <laughs> <laughs> i was uh you know I, I was just i was thinking that it was all over water chemistry i was really? thinking that uh you know we moved in a reverse osmosis system and we were dosing chemicals back in and they just completely changed St. Arnold's beer. Huh. And I was always just a huge fan of their amber ale. I mean, that was like my go-to. Shows you how old I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, when I started there, they only made three beers and that was one of them. So, uh, so it profoundly changed that beer. And we couldn't get the dosing right. And I mean, we were dosing it in, but so I started reading up on water chemistry and I was like, why is this like this? And, you know, I discovered that, you know, you're stripping all the calcium out mostly all the calcium, uh, you know, carbonate out. And that's what he was trying to get out of there. And we're putting back in, you know, for every calcium, we're putting in two chlorides or, or, you know, or, you know, four sulfurs. So, because we were pretty much just dosing in calcium sulfate, calcium chloride. And it just made the beer sweet and it made them just weird. And I didn't hmm. like it. And, um, and then some other stuff happened too. Here comes the rain again. Um, then some other stuff happened too to where, uh, you know, he hired Brock. Hired a. Uh, uh, he said, "Look, we need a production manager, and I don't think that you, I don't think that you have the you know capacity to run the whole thing because we were getting big. San Arnold's getting really big, yeah, um, and still is. And I said, yeah, still is. And I mean, and he was right, you know. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, you know, I'll back off. I'll just you know keep my head brewer position. And I was thinking he's going to hire somebody in from you know Sierra Nevada or something. <laughs> he brings his friend in that had that that I taught how to homebrew." Really? And and had not really had a job outside of academic circles. And I was like, what in the fuck? So there was a little bit of bitterness there, too. Uh, um, well, you have to do some of it out of spite. That's the part of any, any business. Yeah, has to be. I mean, it has to be. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I got over that, you know, uh, absolutely. I was like, look, you know, and it turned out that was a bad move on his behalf, too. Uh, so, because I left. And, yeah. and then the other person surprisingly couldn't do the job that he needed to be doing, I think. Um, Which you're clearly doing now. Yeah, now I'm doing that, you know. So, uh, but I mean, he was right. I probably wasn't ready for that then. I was too yeah. busy. I was I was a straight production for Holy shit. It's like gale force out there. Yeah. 
Pretty intense. Kind of a beautiful day, though. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I like it, too. I like it, too. Especially, it's been so dry here, man. I'm ready for the rain. <laughs> Let's talk about your design on your cans and your art. So, one of the mistakes I made that I wrote about in the book was uh, focus on quality over branding. You guys obviously have some pretty clear branding, pretty tight. How do you change that over the years? It has, was it like that in the beginning? Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, and it goes back to when I was homebrewing. Uh, I was... Uh, I started homebrewing in college, I think like 93, 94, so I've been doing it for a while. And uh, I was I was making these beers, and I was homebrewing with my friend Michael. You know, we were typical homebrewers. We were just making stuff. Most of our shit was terrible, you know, but we started yeah. entering stuff into competitions. You know, we'd win some awards, but we would always win the labeling awards because Michael was <laughs> a badass artist. You know, he was just getting into graphic design, you know, back when it was really starting to, to get bigger. But he was, he's a fine artist by trade. But I always thought if I ever do a business, I'm going to use him for art. Sure enough, I did. So I called him, told him what I was doing. So he designed all the logos and did all of the uh, all the can work. I mean, he designed this. I mean, this is a real simple design. We went, you know, for this kind of banner thing for a while because, uh, you know, design's so weird. You're right. It's all marketing. It's, yeah. it's all what you put out. And we transitioned over to this kind of corporate logo with the with the cursive on it and then this banner that says, we're drinking Oktoberfest. Uh, and this just says Oktoberfest. And then it made sense initially when we had four cans that looked like this, but we phased out two of them already and we're probably and we're going to phase out the, the, the third one this year so yeah we're not making our winter this is the last year we're making our winter warmer it's just all the sales you sell something new everybody wants something new it's just a matter of uh, had a whole podcast episode called killing your children and that's <laughs> it was uh, yeah. that's what we were doing you know it's uh, sometimes you have to oh and it's tough these days because you don't know what that's going to be no um, even quarter to quarter you used to be able to almost kind of get an idea of where the market was going but it, it changes in a second and it doesn't make Sense it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like my crystal ball went cloudy about four years ago. One of the things I started doing, if you look back at some of my other episodes, is that I'm interviewing people on the front lines also in that uh, retail tier, and they also don't have any idea. So no. it's not like I don't feel bad about being completely clueless. No, um, you know, and they don't. I mean, that shows on even big corporate levels. You know, you look at it like right now, it's not even beer, it's seltzer. And all of the retailers, or most of the retailers, gave up a huge section for all these different kinds of seltzer. And I was like, am I fucking missing something? You know, it's like, the point of these is to taste like nothing, you know, and strawberries, or nothing, and whatever. They just allow you to get drunk very what, easily. What's the difference between them? Who would pay extra money for a craft seltzer? It turns out, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'm glad that we didn't jump into that. I was pressured by my investors to get into it. I was like, there's no way that's going to work. There's a lot of Texas breweries and, and nationwide breweries that did. Uh, and they were extremely proud about it at the time, that it was not an artistic play, but it was a money grab. Yeah. And it was, it was an interesting argument. I'm like, I don't, it seems like a flash in the pan and that it yeah. can't last forever. And, and again, I've been proven wrong however many times. Oh, yeah, but, me too. But, you know, I, this is, and, and I'm still could be, but it, it seems like now that space is already starting to shrink, that market's probably not collapsing. The seltzer market's not collapsing at all. I mean, White Claw's still selling a shitload of White Claw, and, you know, and it probably will for a while. I don't think anybody's clamoring over. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't see anybody's production numbers, and I don't really know the sales numbers, but I don't see a whole lot of people walking out with craft seltzer in their baskets. You know, I spend a lot of time in grocery stores. Yeah, no one's bringing it to my house when they come to visit either, no. although I'm not really the target market. No, <laughs> really not either. So, how do you decide on your names? And in general, you, you guys have fairly straightforward names where you're not coming up with 
you know, ridiculous ones all the time, especially their cores. But then sometimes, like the lemon pie, you have things that are more esoteric and different. So yeah, um, you know, we're kind of transitioning. I want to get back to actually the, the art because um, I didn't finish the story, and it'll make kind of it'll so, sort of make sense. Um, I got derailed. That happens to me a lot. Uh, <laughs> so we were, you know, working with my friend Michael, and things were going really well. He was doing all of our design, and um, then he got the flu, and then he got pneumonia, and then he died. Oh, and um, so I, it was sudden. So I'm like, what in the fuck? You know, it's like he's two years older than me. You know, we share a birthday even. He's two years older than me on the uh, So his loss really, really, you know, hit the company for sure. And yeah. it also left us scrambling who's going to do all this stuff. So we hooked up with uh, a guy named David Malamud that had been working for, um, I forgot what it was called. It was something Oak. It might have been Live Oak Group or something like that. I mean, you said Live Oak. There's a lot of Live Oaks. People want to listen industry, which is probably my favorite brewery in Texas. But uh, <laughs> I'm kind of, yeah. But uh, he had done some work with No Label, and I liked the work that he did. And he actually he knew one of my my old sales director Omar, so he contacted me, and we started kind of working together. And, and then he left that group and founded uh, with another guy uh, Five Plus Eight, and they were a bigger team. They were uh, they did graphics design, but they also did marketing, and they do uh, web design, and they do social media work and all this stuff. So I was like, that is a no-brainer. Uh, I'm Definitely, we're going to stick with these guys. So they're like the, our extra employee. And in, in fact, there's so much of our, of our extra employee that one of them comes here once a week and works here. And he's right over there. That's oh, Gabe. really? <laughs> yeah, he's here today. And it's usually on Wednesdays because we have you know our marketing meetings and, and, and design meetings, our 5 plus 8 meetings on, on Wednesdays at 10. Sometimes they'll bring another member of their team and they'll do social media stuff from here. They'll film things, put it out. So uh, so they do pretty much all of our hand design now. And I even let them... I suck at naming beers. So I'm just let, letting them have free reign on it now. And that's why they're getting a little bit more esoteric because we've got, we've got a marketing firm doing it for us because I'm, I'm old school. Like, in fact, Bombshell Blonde was Southern Star Blondale. Oh, really? In started, the but yeah. <laughs> I was like, how creative is that? You know? um, again, it was different times back then. And no competition, yeah, really. There was no competition. Yeah. yeah. So it was totally different times. Uh, you know, that was back when we could all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and say, hey, the rising tide raises all boats. You know, fools we were. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one saw the growth coming that no. day. And then more and more people I talked to, even when I opened in 2012, there were 50 yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot. That's not for know, a state our size. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we were still 49th or 50, 50th in the country as far as the per yeah. capita breweries. Yeah, and so it made sense. Now we're closing in our four hundred yeah. with no signs of slowing down. I know, so, it's crazy. You know, where does that go? And, and no one would have do it. <laughs> yeah, the overarching message. Yeah, get the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> save your money. You're talking about the marketing side, and I've always seen that marketing and quality are sort of these things that get thrown around, and they tend to not usually line up together. That some of the best marketing tends to be on some of the grossest beer, in yep. my opinion. No, I, I agree with you. But obviously that affects sales and so you guys have always been a solid beer producer not big misses and, and you know uh, gross beer put out in the market how much do you think that the marketing has helped or hurt you based on how you've done I it? mean I think our marketing is really helping us right now but it was like you know I didn't understand how important it was until it's like too little too late we have a hard time and we've you know we've had two beers over the last uh, over the last two years that have absolutely crashed and burned uh, we had one you know and we'll get into this because I'm sure you've got a question you know about beers that crash and burn or something. Uh, 
you know, one of them, we didn't even get through a, truck, a truckload of cans. Really? Yeah. I mean, halfway through a truckload of cans and we had to quit making the beer and it was fantastic. And the marketing was slick too. It was just trend. You know, it was one of those trending things that and everybody's, it was low carb, low cal IPAs and everybody put, hmm, a lot of people put a lot of effort and money in that, you know, and a lot of people came out with them and none of them succeeded. No, no, let's get into that now. So what was it? It was a low calorie IPA? It was a low cal, yeah, low calorie, low carb IPA. So we called it low cal. So everybody was a little something, you know, yeah. so unless it was a little something, something, that's something different. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, so it was Little Cal IPA. So, and it was one of my favorite beers to help design. Taylor designed uh, a lot of it too, but we work collaboratively. My my production brewer has been with me for almost nine years now. So he's not production brewer; he's my head brewer, the kind of operations manager now. We want to keep it under 100 calories, so that means we had 23 calories to make to make it count. So we had oh, 23 wow. calories to play with and yeah. to pack all bunch of flavor and character and body and everything in. And I think we pulled it off. You know, we pulled it off. It has, um, it's a nice, nice beer. You know, it's got 3.6 grams of carbs, which is less than a Bud Light. It's got 100 calories. I mean, and it's just crushable and delicious, and nobody bought it. So you send it out to the market. You got it on the shelves. Spent more money than we've ever spent on any marketing push. I mean, we had $11,000 worth of radio ads. We had um, billboards, uh, social media push. I mean, everything that we could do to do it. We had you know special releases, shirts, all this shit. The people that love it, love it. And I get accosted at the brewery sometimes they're like you can't quit making this beer i'm like nobody's fucking buying it you know well i buy it all the time i'm like then you and seven other people because i mean it got to the point where we're selling like 20 cases a week footprint wide i mean it was like that distributor supported it retailer put it in and it just didn't it just didn't move why do you think that is i don't really know well i do know i think that i don't think any of them moved and i think that because when people say i'm on a low carb low cal diet our low carb diet and put my body into ketosis. They don't really mean it. I think that they, that they buy into a lifestyle and this is just me and I could be really wrong, but I've noticed this, you know, some of my in-laws are on, you know, low carb stuff and I watch them. They're like, no, I don't want these potatoes. I don't want this. I don't want that. You know, I can't drink beer. And then they'll fucking drink a margarita. Right. You know, that's their cheat. I was like, what? You know, or they'll get a skinny margarita or something, but then they'll drink some wine. It's like, it's these perceptions. And like a lot of people came in and said, I'm watching my car. I can't drink beer. And so many people said that. I thought, well, fuck, I'll just make a craft beer that tastes good. So when you're getting your 3.4 grams of carbs, you know, you at least enjoy them. And yeah. So I, and that's my perception. I think that it's so heavily advertised to where, you know, if you go get a Michelob Ultra, you're going to, you know, have this hot girl with big titties and, and you know, and a slim body, you know, following you around the beach. And, and that's like... You know, or if you're a girl, you're going to have some hot dude with you know ripped abs, and you're going to be playing volleyball and, and making out by a, by a bonfire. And that's you know that's that's the whole thing. You just can't compete with that. My experience is that the, that guy with the ripped abs doesn't drink beer anyway. Right, it's right. Usually vodka and water. Yeah, or he does drink beer and he works out a lot. <laughs> so. My experience, and I'm sure you have one similar with Michelob Ultra, is that uh, if you do drink that. It's so low alcohol, so low body that I, I end up drinking three times as many. Oh yeah, anyways. me too. Yeah, you, I mean, it was nothing for me. It was funny. We had a we had an off flavor uh, tasting panel up here for my bar staff that we do periodically, and we'll get a slim of Michelob Ultra and just put it on tap. Sorry, TBC, I'm not supposed to do that, but we'll put it on tap just for just to train, you know, just because you want a beer that doesn't taste like anything. That's the one, you know, yeah. and they do it very very well. I'm not knocking that beer. It's a it's. I mean, I don't know how I couldn't do that. 
Especially and, at the scale that they do. Right, yeah. yeah. So, but it's funny. It's like after we do, get done with the tasting panel, which is usually like early Sunday morning, we just like, we're like, all right, let's kill this keg. You know? yeah. <laughs> and it's easy to do. We usually do it about an hour, but it's, um, wow, that was kind of close. Yeah. <laughs> it's a metal roof, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's a metal roof. It's fine. It's metal, metal everything. Yeah. Raise, raise your feet up. We're sitting on wood. Hopefully it'll go over the stainless <laughs> and we'll be all right. So that was lightning for those of you listening yeah, at home. And pretty close. It was a bright flash of lightning. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I think what we're going to do real quick, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about like the actual brewer that you hired. And so, really and truly, you sort of have a legacy in the state of being able to help all the other brewers. And we're going to get into those two things real quickly. But okay. um, again, let's take a quick break. And we'll come right back. Awesome. Remember when you had to buy film for your camera, take pictures you couldn't see or edit, and then pay someone to take two weeks to develop them into pictures? Well, there wasn't a better way then, but there is a better way now. Are you literally still measuring final gravity with a hydrometer like some furry caveman? Dude, you need to get AccuBrew. You'll find real-time feedback on current gravity, temperature, and even clarity. And the thing will alert you anywhere in the world when any of them are out of your spec. I'm tired of telling you to make better beer, so go install AccuBrew and make me shut up. Seriously, go to AccuBrew.com, follow them on socials at AccuBrew, or just call Parker at 727-685-9860. Your beer, your customers, and even I will thank you. All right, welcome back. I'm excited to get into this next stuff with you. So, when you first started, who made all the beer? I did. When we first started, I made all the beer. There was only two of us. So, I made all the beer. My business partner helped me make all the beer. And he would can some of the beer. And we'd can, you know, we, we, we made the beer, can the beer, whatever. And then we had a volunteer girl for a while. Uh, she was our first paid employee. And we worked for almost a year without any paycheck. We were so damn proud when we could pay her. You know, yeah. and, and it was it was super cool. So she was our first paid employee. I made all the beer. Well, I didn't make all the beer. I, I ended up hiring a brewer. I don't know when it was. It was a couple years into it. You know, when we had to start rolling it because we when when we left our old location to move to this location, we were making we made I'm trying to think so I'm not lying to anybody, but we made I think thirteen thousand barrels on a fifteen barrel system. And that had have been what six years in, seven years in, something you moved yeah, here? Yeah. It was uh, we moved here in twenty sixteen actually. Uh, twenty twenty sixteen into twenty seventeen. So when you first started making the beer, there weren't very many other breweries in Texas. So were you able to other than like Brad, could you call somebody up and be like, hey dude what the fuck do you do with a stuck mash or how do I handle this? You know, I, and I already had eight years of experience. So, you know, it was like, no, yes and no. I mean, but I knew, you know, stuck mash, you, you know, you underlet and hope for the best. And, and at the very worst, you're just going to be there for a long time. And at the very, very worst, you're going <laughs> to dump that shit it. out and make him put it in there again. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's pretty much what you can do with a stuck mash. It'll run off eventually. Yeah, it'll <laughs> run off eventually, you know, you just poke some holes in it. You know, it might not be the best quality wort, you know, and, and maybe you won't get as much of it, but you know, it's, it's the whole thing. If you don't get, if you get shitty quality wort out of that stuck mash, then you just wasted a whole bunch of time. So sometimes you do, you just dump it, you dump it and go. I've only had to do that twice. Well, so since you didn't have a lot of people helping you in the beginning, I, a lot of the, my generation of the brewers. And so the guys that came in in 2012, 2015, we had a lot of help. A lot of people we asked in the beginning, you know, how do you, how do you lay out the brewery? How do you yeah. like, fix these certain things? And you didn't really have that, but you are clearly one of those guys that everybody knows that is there to help. And pretty yeah. much everyone's had a chance to talk to you. Yeah. In fact, I have a quote from someone if you want to hear it. Yeah. Three shout-outs. Three big shout-outs. First of all, Dave Furgeon at uh, Southern Star. I came up there as just a total stranger, some schmuck in everything. Like, oh, I'm going to open a new brewery. And he literally stopped everything he was doing that day. 
you see all four going on that would actually they weren't going to move so they would yell from there and that this was at the old story you showed the ground you answered every question you gave beers and sat down and spent three hours just talking to me and that was fantastic I think every brewer I've talked to started since we started has mentioned that they did the same thing for them so that's Brett and Teresa from Fetching Lab Brewery. That is clearly your reputation. And as you're one of the oldest Texas craft brewers and obviously a guy who's actually producing beer on a regular basis, you're busy. How the fuck do you have time for that? Uh, you know, it was the passion of, of... I was one of those stupid bastards that just fell in love with beer and it became an all-consuming part of my life. I mean, it still is, but um, I'm way more jaded now, for sure. <laughs> oh, way more. Um, but that's still, you know, but it's also just that I like helping people. I, I, I do. I, I, I enjoy, you know, when somebody's asking me something that I can contribute, I like to do that. I'm, I'm a big kind of karma guy, and I'm hoping that, you know, when um, somebody, I can find somebody to do the same for me when I ask them about something that I have no fuck all about, you know. And I enjoy talking about it. I mean, I always enjoy talking. I still enjoy talking about beer. I mean, it's my life. It's all I've pretty much done. I don't know. I, I just think, you know, and I'm... I'm always kind of like, you know, most people I think are decent. I don't, I, and I like helping people. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, that was the point of my book. And obviously the point of this podcast is to take those conversations that we get to have behind the scenes and put them into some format that people can use as a reference and continue to go through. So I, I think it's awesome that you know, not everybody has done that. And uh, I don't give a fuck. I'll call them out. So Scott over at Freetail literally told me no. I said, hey, I got a couple questions for you when I was first starting in 2011. And he said, man, I ain't got the time for that. Yeah. Uh, and in writing, and I have it on as a Twitter feed. Um, so it's not, everybody's not like that. And I think that as much as we're getting to that point now, that again, there's 400 breweries and, right. and who knows what's going to happen. There is still a sense of camaraderie. There, there is. You know, I've become, like I said, I've become pretty jaded. I don't share a lot of my tips and tricks anymore unless people specifically ask for them. You know, I can carbonate a 60-barrel bright tank in an hour and a half. And it seems like magic to, to most everybody, <laughs> but it's really fucking easy. Because here's what I realized. I'd tell people that, and then they'd go, oh, okay. And then they end up doing it the way that they were planning on doing it anyway. Right. And I'd be like, you know, then I just wasted my time. Well, um, unfortunately, that happens. I remember there used to be, um, like, this real ale used to give everybody uh, yeast. Yeah. And so any brewer would come out and just pull yeast off the bright, pull the fermenter. And then there was a few brewers that started blaming their bad beer on, on bad real, yeast. Yeah, yeah. And so guess what? Guess where you can't get yeast from anymore? Yeah, yeah. Look, fuck off. <laughs> you know, really. really. Um, we do that. We do that sometimes and we get it reciprocated and we only do it from people that we you know respect. We'll give it to, you know, pretty much whoever. In fact, um, one of my old brewers, uh, Sam Wright, he started the Houston Daisy Chain Project and it was, oh, yeah. it was uh, I mean, how cool is that? N nobody gave a fuck. You know, I mean, absolutely no fucks were given. And so, it's, a little, it's a little too scientific. It, it, it is, but so, we all know it out. But it was like how much – I mean, that was right after that was right after Harvey. Yeah. And we were like, let's pull together solidarity. And I thought it was super cool. And there was a lot of trust involved in that. It wasn't any mistake, the order who got the yeast as it went down. <laughs> it really wasn't. So, uh, But we still do that. I mean, our, our price for yeast is tacos, That's as yeah. it should be. Yeah. Um, you know, you better bring a whole bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> But we pretty much only do that now with uh, pretty much the only people that we do it now with is Eureka Heights. Like when Vince was with Brash, he'd come over and, and I'd give them yeast for sure. Yeah. And we've received yeast from a couple of different people. I mean, some people, and thank you, I don't remember exactly who did it, but a couple of times, I think it was Eighth Wonder once just bailed us the fuck out with Kolsch yeast. 
You know, it's one of those things. You get a pinch, and you're like, hey, peeps, you know, what's what's going on? But it's I mean, but like even with B-52, they're right down the street from here. And a lot of the times it's like, hey, I'm out of acid. You know, can, I, can we come borrow a couple gallons? Like, Absolutely. You know, I'm out of PAA or whatever. And not too long ago at all, we drove down to Katy and borrowed four cases of Pac-Tac handles from them. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's weird. Can you imagine like McDonald's calling Burger King going, hey, we're out of buns. Can I come get some? You know, right. <laughs> it's, it's really strange, but I'm, I'm sure that shit goes on in Austin. I'm sure that shit goes on everywhere. People helping each other. And there are, you, you know not, who not to ask to sometimes. Yeah, there are definitely people that don't yeah. play as nice in the yeah. sandbox as others, yeah. for sure. And I think even the consumer might be able to feel who some of those people are <laughs> to an extent. Probably so. But so you brought up Sam, and that was actually a question I had, which I think is important for a lot of our people to think about in, the, in our audience, is you were the brewer, the brewer originally. They were your recipes, your babies, it's mm-hmm. your brewery. And then one day you had to hand the reins over to Sam. How did that go? Actually, I handed the reins over to a guy that did not even have a brewer's background. He's a brilliant dude. He's one of those guys that just, and everybody is funny because I've like tracked his through his career because he's worked for us. He's worked for Carbock. <laughs> now he works for, uh, for Brewdog. So it's, it's, it's funny. His name's Jeff Hamm. And I talked to the guys from Carbock. They were like, yeah, fuck that perfect <laughs> motherfucker. Because he is. You know, he's just like, he's one of those dudes that's just like insanely intelligent super into daddy. I mean, this man, we wrapped ourselves around probably we were designing a beer together. And this is after he'd worked with me for several years. We were going to make a beer to guard. And we were like, well, you know, you read the BJCP description of beer to guard. It's bullshit. I mean, it's like, they're not sour. Or not not France. Yeah. You know? So we wanted to make an authentic French style. 300 years ago, they might have been. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But, you know, you can't even get a beer to guard here, in, I mean, a French beer to guard in Texas. So he flew to the West Coast. I flew to the East Coast. You know, we were on business. And we just gathered up all these bearded guards and started trying them. Learned way more about bearded guards than I thought that we'd ever know. And this motherfucker decides, and he does it rapidly. He learns French, went to France, and interviewed a whole bunch of brewers to make bearded guard. And it was funny. They were like, why do you want to make the old man's beer? Teach us how to make IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. But, but then, you know, when he got back, we made Le Mort Vivant, and we also made Blind Ambition. So two, we did 22 test batches that kind of branched out. Talk about nerds. I mean, that's that's the love of the craft, you know. Yeah, right. and we made and our beer to guard. I think for me, um, Le Mort Vivant tastes the most like kind of uh, there's the, kind of the most popular if there is such a thing. Uh, beer to guard in France is called Jean uh, It's very similar to Jean We didn't kind of start it that way. We were just like because I mean you, that beer boils for four fucking hours. Wow. And we deliberately use shitty barley to, to kind of um, unmodified and there's a lot of six row in it because yeah. it was like you know you, you want just kind of. They have like winter barley that they use it for. Yeah, unmodified stuff. We throw in all kinds of weird stuff. And the beer is beautiful. Actually, people did care about that because that beer is really <laughs> badass. Well, that you released it also probably, was it like early 2010s? Yeah. So right at the time when people actually cared about yeah, craft yeah, beer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was, it, it, was, it was such a beautiful beer. I think it was 20, yeah, 2011, 2012 maybe when we released that. So yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful beer. So, I mean, I, I hired this guy. It's funny because I sat there and I interviewed all these people and I'm thinking... Fuck, I don't want to hire any of these people. And then Jeff was my last interview for the day, and he walks in, and he was like, hey, I'm Jeff. He's wearing, like, basketball shorts, and, you know, and, and uh, I'm taking my uh, dressed off from him now. You know, <laughs> basketball shorts and T-shirts. I'm like, that guy looks comfortable. And I sit down with him, and I start. I asked the first question, and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. This is stupid. Let's go have a beer, and then we'll just talk. Yeah. And we just connected. And I was like, you're the guy. And it was very easy to 
I mean, I, he learned how to brew like proficiently, very rapidly. So you took him from zero experience to he home brewed, yeah, yeah, and you know, and he just right out of college, he was working as a seafood manager for HEB, you know, and uh, didn't want to do that. So <laughs> There's uh, a shocker, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I took him from nothing to to being to me. He's one of the most talented brewers I know. Still, I mean, to this day. And I don't know, I haven't had any of his beer, but just when he was working for me, I was just like, holy shit, this guy learned everything I knew and then started teaching me stuff within about two years. He actually, right before he left, he uh, was before he planned on leaving, I think, he we needed another brewer, so he hired Taylor. Well, no, we actually hired Emil before that, so I've had several brewers. <laughs> um, Emil is one of my favorite people in the world. But anyway, we had to hire somebody else, and we ended up hiring Taylor. That's who's out there now. But that was a long time ago. When Jeff left, I needed another. I needed a new head brewer, and Taylor hadn't been with us long enough to be that head brewer. So I talked to him, and I was like, "Look, I see super potential in you, but you haven't been here long enough to 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 take over the reins." And so I interviewed people with, uh, you know, with more experience, and I had trained Sam at St. Arnold. So when he called me back, I was like, "Perfect, let's do this." And then he's he left us. Sam left us uh, to open up his own brewery, and then the pandemic hit, and it hasn't it hadn't worked yet. I think he still works for Holler is where he's working at right now. Do you know what he's calling his new brewery? When it opens? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. He told me. I think he was. I don't, I don't think he had a, a whole name for it. It was like I think it was just like Spring Branch Brewing or something because he's over in Spring Branch area. Okay. But we've had Huggy Bears worked here from you know. Uh, now he's got his own brewery. He's left and made his own brewery. He left. Um, no label to come join us. And then we knew he said straight up, he was like, look, I just want to, I want to work here for a couple of years, get some experience working at this brewery and then start my own brewery. Yeah. And we're like, that's cool. You know, that's fine. So as long as everybody gets what they want. Yeah. And I was like, you know, and I find it real hard to, to be mad at people that leave my brewery to go start their own brewery or do whatever. I tell people, I'm like, look, pursue your dreams, go do what you want to do. Be it, you know, I'll try to talk them out of it now, you know, but just not as a competition aspect, just because I'm like, look, because if your business plan is like my business plan was, you're fucked. Yeah. Even mine at that point was, it, it, it essentially wasn't one. We're going to make beer and then figure it out. Yeah. Well, my business plan was to grow and become a production brewery to, to, uh, you know, just become a regional, you know, to, to be, you know, St. Arnold's little brother. You know, we started small. And, you know, we were, we were super profitable for a while if we wouldn't have been sinking all money back into the, I mean, that's how we got here is, um, you know, we'd, we'd get $40,000 and buy another tank and then we'd get $40,000 more and buy another tank. And it was, it became like a, like a Coke habit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, you know, you just, you just kept working harder to buy more tanks so you could make more beers so you could sell more beers so you can work harder to buy more tanks. And it's just like, keep going on the top line with no, yep. no, not take any home. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and we were profitable for, I don't know, good. Well, I mean, even then we'd have, you know, some. There was a couple of years that we were profitable, uh, which is like we were talking about, you know, kind of pre-podcast. It's pretty rare. Yeah. So if you don't want to make any money. Especially now. you want to waste, waste a whole bunch of money. Like if your dad is like a rich dude that owns like a bunch of oil wells or something, start a brewery. Well, if he needs to offset some of that, yeah. those capital gains yeah. somewhere. Yeah. I mean, and there's people that do that here unabashedly. I mean, that's, really? well, I mean, not here, but well, Spindletap kind of did that. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, look at Allstad, you know, I mean, Allstad did it right. Look, they kept fucking, you know, Peter brewing for them and, and, you know, their beer's phenomenal and their place is beautiful and they're probably still not making any money. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Just- <laughs> Just the size of the place. Yeah, it's a I mean, fucking it's, castle. I mean, like, it's, it's literally a fucking castle. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And they're making fantastic beers. 
I was super disappointed. They struggled in the beginning. I think they hired the wrong guy or whatever. So directly out of the gates, they definitely did not have. And they were some shit, pretty challenging styles. You make a lager and a coal, you better oh, yeah. do it fucking right. Oh yeah. But now every time I have their beer, I'm always more surprised. I'm like, oh, they've kind of they're, figured it their out. Their culture's yeah. badass they're now. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, their Oktoberfest is great, and you know I've always been like, oh, our Oktoberfest is you know the best in the state. And then now I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, it's it's pretty good. You yeah. Know? And we do our Oktoberfest is ridiculous. I mean, we we're purist. We use you know nothing but German malts. We do a decoction mash for Christ's sake on on you know on our on our Oktoberfest. Part of the reason that we designed the brew houses so we could do something like that oh yeah yeah so stupid me huh the, well, one, that, the one that sells the best is just a fucking lame little ale with a whole bunch of caramel malt in it and they're like please don't do this you know but anyway i'm not gonna say who it is <laughs> it doesn't matter i'm sure no, we can all figure it out yeah, anyway probably so <laughs> so as far as like choosing the beers that you make um one of the things that i talk about is a big mistake is brew whatever is uh, popular instead of what's profitable so picking the beers that you know, they're going to have the biggest pull through, the biggest volume, but then also have an affordable um, grain bill, which obviously yep. is not the case with your Oktoberfest. But sometimes you have to make those artistic things you're proud of to keep you in the game. You do. Too. I mean, and Oktoberfest is profitable solely because it doesn't have a whole lot of hops in it. So, and we can buy some of those grains in bulk, which is really nice. So I've got, the, being the size that we are, I've got the luxury of paying, I mean, I think I paid 32 cents a pound for two row. But I've, I have to buy 40,000 pounds of it at a time, you know, and, and and have to build a silo, which I fucking built not by myself, but me and three other dudes built Picked that it silo. Up threw it up there. <laughs> I mean, it was stupid. You know, I was like, I'm never if I do that again, I'm going to fucking die because it yeah. was like, I mean, we're in there like, you know, tightening nuts and bolts. It's August. It's hot as falls outside. And then trying to get it up, stand it up and everything. I fell off of it and like Spider-Man leaped off and grabbed something. It was it was stupid. So I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so it leads right into the conversation about workman's comp. I'm just kidding. No, no, there's that. <laughs> uh, but so what are your flagship brands for some people that maybe aren't as familiar with Southern Star? I mean, Bombshell Blonde is, is definitely uh, still our flagship, although the sales on that have dropped dramatically over the past uh, several years. And really? It's, you know, it's an old beer and yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, it still sells, it's still our number one bestseller, but I mean, there were times where we were selling, you know, 1400 cases flying out of here every week, you yeah. know, and, and now, you know, we're lucky if we have 400 cases flying out here every week of bombshell. Well, of, of, the, of our four, six, twelves. So part of it is we, you know, we have 12 packs of it and draft sales. So, I mean, the sales are still good. There's just so many beers out there now and everybody wants to try something new. I was at a bar one time, and I keep kind of a low key. I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm introverted. I'm kind of weird, and I don't like being recognized in public. It just makes me weird. It makes me freak out a little bit. I don't know. I said I'm an oddball. If you see him out in public, make sure you give him a big hug. Is what he's trying to say. Oh, I'll hug you back. I'm a hugger. <laughs> you know, like I was at a bar, and you know, it was a very popular bar on this side. Uh, Hop Scholar, my friend Todd owns, but. I usually go up there and, and I don't wear branded shit, you know, so I go up there and have a beer because I just want to, I'm off, you know, yeah. so I get up there and I hear this guy order a bombshell blonde and his, uh, his friend's like, oh, you don't want to get that. You've already had that, <laughs> you know, and he was like, but that's what I want. And he was like, no, try something different, you know, whatever that. And he, you can't it, check that in on untapped again. You've already yeah, done exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. He said that. Really? And, and so they had the little untapped apps out and shit. And I was just like, I fucking hate untapped. <laughs> I, fucking, I fucking hate all 
beer rated shit. Fuck all you. Anyway. <laughs> and that would be a uh, foreshadowing for the third segment. Okay, so cool. You're going to enjoy cool. it. So I'll have a couple more beers and I'll get, <laughs> I'll get, uh, get really tell you what I think about it. Anyway, um, you know, they're they're doing that. And, and I watched this guy talk, the, this other guy, out of buying one of my beers. And something that he wanted. Like he was enjoying it. He yeah, he was enjoying it. it. And I was like, who am I to I – mean, I'm not his friend. I'm not going to say shit to him. I don't care. You know, I mean, I do. I wish he would have bought one of my beers. You know, every one counts. You know, your beer gets drank one beer at a time. You yeah. Know? And it's uh, – that really showed me it was like a microcosmos of, of where the industry was and some to some extent still is. I don't think it's quite that bad now, but – I think you've got it a divide. Is. So you still have those people, and I think they're the ones driving Instagram and social media. But there are still a lot of people who, you know, I was at Craft Beer Cellar downtown last night, and all I drank were lagers uh, until I ordered an IPA, and I was pissed I did it. I wish I hadn't stuck with the lagers. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of the other people I was hanging out with were doing the same thing. So yeah. Yeah, that crowd is still there, yeah. but are we enough? I don't know to, to yeah. really move the needle. So speaking of which, we're trying to make things that are exciting and fantastic, and everyone wants to try something new and different they haven't had. I am actually very curious how the conversation went during your board of directors meeting or however you want it, your, your planning meeting. How the fuck did you get lactose into your beer? That was easy. <laughs> um, Taylor made it and we drank it. We're like, holy balls, that's good. And um, you like a test batch? Yeah, I made a test batch. I mean, everything starts as a test batch here. Maybe not everything, but most things start as a test batch. And what's nice is now we have, I just bought this last year, I bought a six barrel pilot system and six barrel that's cool. so we've got you know we got seven barrel fermenter there's going to be another one show up tomorrow so the plan is to have three seven barrel fermenters and that's our pilot system and we're going to make beers mostly just for sale here in the tap room so that's kind of our playground i want to do some stupid shit i want to make a hazy porter oh yeah <laughs> our juicy porter yeah i don't know i'm just being stupid but um <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, it's fun for us. To and yet around. it'll probably happen. Yeah, it probably will. Cause I'm like, well, cause my brewer's mom, I'm like, what, what happens if you like whirlpool, like bullion hops or, you know, like, you know, what's the one, the one that tastes like black currant and brambles. You know, I was just like, you know, what happens when you just blast, like, has anybody ever tried to post whirl like massive amounts of British hops? What happens, you know, in a porter? We'll I find mean, out we're here. Gonna, we're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to find out right now. We've got it tied up doing quite possibly the dumbest thing we've ever done which is uh it's called the 12 beers of krampus and it's going to come out this year and it's 12 different beers that nobody's ever had and you can only get those beers in that 12 pack and they try to kill you or something no it's just <laughs> i'm a i'm a i'm a scrooge I, I hate christmas oh do you i'm a metalhead you know so i'm just like you know Mah. you know so uh yeah happiness and, and smiles oh pisses me off <laughs> <laughs> stupid fucking songs and <laughs> you know, so anyway uh, we're making uh, we're making the 12 years of krampus so that's more of our alley so it's pretty cool yeah each one of them has like event coordinators a fantastic artist too and he uh he did sketches so each one of them has a full art piece that accompanies it it's coming with a pack of like collectible cards like 12 like trading cards in there oh that's cool it's it's going to be really really neat and we're going to boost it with social media but it's just a what a pain in the ass it's going to be yeah. to load 12 different beers parts. yeah i mean there's going to only be like well i don't know you know how many how many cases are going to be there's going to be as much cases as the lowest yielding beer that we have <laughs> so i mean you see how this is stupid yeah um we're gonna do it anyway. I mean, I think we've got we've got ideas on how to recoup. We're gonna have mix and match packs, and you know, here in the tap room that where people can come in and build their own four pack, and they're gonna mm -hmm. be you know, and yeah, that's gonna be expensive. But um, we're making some weird ass styles. We got a Grotzer and a 
I think the weirdest one, we're making a Texas sati. <laughs> so we're using pecan bows instead of uh, juniper. That, that is weird. Yeah, it's real weird. But it'd be interesting to try it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you don't like it, that's the only one that's in the 12-pack. <laughs> <laughs> Just give that one to your friend. Yep. Yeah, those mixed packs are a pain in the ass. We did some mixed four-packs a couple of times. And each time, it, it's so much more complexity than it seems like it should be for how simple it is just to put four different things well and we have to label all of these with stickers so it's like yeah it's gonna be a bitch we're we're into it enough to where i think everybody thinks it's great we're all really excited about it actually but it's it's super stupid yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that's good yeah stupider it is the better have some fun with it and i'm sure it'll help get attention so i'm sure how do you decide on your pricing so like you have all these different products and obviously you're getting different things at retail did you just take a swag at it like i you know at first yeah but now i pay very close attention to what the other people are doing and i need to be at that same price point as st arnold and it's we're not nearly as profitable as they are at that price point because we're not nearly as big Mm -hmm. but i think we have to have that price point on some of our on our core beers you know we get higher price points on uh on our specialty stuff and we you know the name of the game now is bringing in like rotating lines of different stuff and those nobody's gonna flinch if you ask ten dollars a, a a six pack for them. buried hatch has always been a little bit different because it's such a big beer you can't sell that in the six pack it's irresponsible irresponsible it is. it's irresponsible to sell that in six because uh, somebody's gonna drink six of them i have had four um, of them before I will admit. Yeah, four of them. That's about all you need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's about all you need of those. So uh, that's why we sell those in four packs. And, and it, it's one of our most profitable beers, too, because, you know, it retails at $10 or $9, depending on where you shop at a four pack. And I think that's still a very fair price for, for that beer. Uh, but we've got, I mean, we just released something this last year. It was Russian Imperial Stout, and it was a two pack for 20 bucks. Oh, really? So, I mean, and it's, it's sold. In the box, wasn't it? Yeah, like, in the box. Yeah fantastic beer i just i think to myself what is the market of beer but then you look at like like uh yingling that just came in <laughs> dude that beer is 112 dollars to the retailer a half barrel i'm like who the fuck could do that nobody you it's know? made in the miller facility in fort worth but yeah. even yeah. still i know so that's contract brewed at yeah. that price at that price wow so i'm like eh, whatever i mean you're not gonna get my beer for that you know for sure but i uh, wonder if it's gonna stay that cheap or if it'll go up eventually i don't think it's gonna do very well here i mean it's it's okay. I mean, it's good beer, but it's not special in any way. It was like, you know, like when I first heard of it, I, I said something and like it resonated with everybody that was with me. I was like, I was like, oh, great. We already have a Shiner, you know? It's right. Like, you know, now it's we like, have Pennsylvania. Yeah, now we have a Pennsylvania Shiner. Cool. You know, it's like, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I found myself like vacation in Florida a lot over the last years with family reunions and stuff. That's just where they picked. We're from here, not there. But I, every time I'd go there, I'd buy those before you get bells here too. I'd buy a pack of bells, two hearted, and a pack of Yingling, and I get back and like about my third time, I'd crack it open, you know, the Yingling, and I thought, what the fuck did I buy this again? You know, it's just yeah. like, you know, I mean, it's like, meh, you know, it's it's good, it's okay, but you know, it's uh, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's gonna make it to the market here or not. Well, I try to stay off the social media sites as much as I can, but obviously it's. Part of, part of my business and so that's why I hired 5 plus 8 because I'm not on social media at all yeah. I, was, I had to break up with social media it was driving me fucking crazy it was turning me into a lunatic I can't wait to get to that point but uh, it's, it's funny you'll see people posting about how uh, Yingling's coming and then one dude who actually has a brain will post on there like when I was in college that was the shit that was a dollar on Tuesday we didn't <laughs> like the beer it was cheap and it was again it was like our shiner yep. and uh, like, well, I don't understand why you're excited it's fine that it's here but I'm still not going to order it at the bar and people will just eviscerate the guy and be like 
you don't fucking get it. And like, maybe not. I guess that might be the point. You're right. I don't yeah, get you it. You don't fucking get it. And neither will they, because once it gets here, it's going to be just like bells. Nobody's going to give two shits because if you can get it, you only want it once. Right. Once they've had it, it's going to yeah. go through the market. Bell's kind of died the same way, unfortunately. And they're better beer. Oh, it's fantastic. Bell's yeah. is badass. You know, it's like when Bell's came, I was like, oh my God, we're fixing to take a big hit because, you know, Bell's is a fantastic brewery. And it got here, and I'm guilty. You know how many? You know how many packs of? I think it was it four packs or six packs of Two Hearted that I bought. None, none. none. I bought one. I, I bought one on draft, and yeah. I was like, "Hey, this is really good beer." And then I got something different. So I mean, maybe I'm part of the problem too. I don't know. <laughs> it was like You're ruining craft beer for the rest I'm of ruining, the day. I'm personally ruining craft beer for everybody. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> we'll take it. Whatever. <laughs> All right, well, I actually have an empty beer glass, and so we're going to fix that really quickly and then come back on our third segment, which is going to have three – I'm sorry, I, don't have, I have to do this – three bombshell topics oh, that we have yeah, to cover. Oh, yeah, I switched there. <laughs> but anyways, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, guys. Nice. So, hey, where are you kids buying your grains? You know, back in the day, we only had two options, and each of them knew it. When there isn't any competition, things like customer service and aggressive pricing – just don't make a bit of sense to the big guys' bottom lines. But Brewery Direct has given lots of fucks about their customers since the day they sold their first bag of grain back in 2016. They sourced grains for quality and grains for price. And as an extension of Johnson Brothers Bakery Supply, their access to unique ingredients and brewing adjuncts is simply unparalleled. And now, with warehouses from Washington to New Jersey, you've got no excuse for an overpriced or unimaginative grain bill. You can't make great beer from any old bullshit, and Brewery Direct knows that. They have great prices on great grains and offer great service to great breweries of all sizes. Oh, did I mention the free shipping? Check them out at brewerydirect.com or just type Brewery Direct into all of those social medias you seem to like so damn much. Well, welcome back. Dave, I appreciate you sticking with us through all these beers and conversations. My pleasure. I would like to talk about cans. So... I, uh, in the book, I talk about mobile canning obviously being a bad investment. And I, and I think especially if you're going to distribution that it's a fantastic way to bl- burn cash or bleed money, however you want to term it. Yep. But you ain't going to make cash uh, nope. selling to retail through a distributor with a mobile canner. I want to apologize because I started this shit. Yeah, because um, you were the first <clears throat> to can, which yep. was one of the questions I had. Yep. So for one, uh, why were you the first to can? At that point, why did you say, hey, no one else is doing this. I need to do it. So I went to the CBC Craft Brewers Conference. I think it was in Seattle. I'm not real sure. And I met up with the guys from Surly. And I had cans. What the fuck? And they gave me a tall boy of Furious. And I was like, you know, they're they're IPA. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the shit? And I cracked it open. And I just got such a kick that I was drinking a tall boy of IPA. I mean, I was just like, this is fucking awesome. After that, I'd kind of set my mind that I wanted to can anyway. We didn't really plan on even opening up in Conroe. We were thinking the Woodlands area. It just happens to be that the rent was cheap here. And, uh, and <laughs> in so, the middle you know, of all the pine trees yeah. in the middle well, of Well, not here. This is the old place. <laughs> yeah. This is the old place. Uh, yeah, this, the, the, the mortgage here is not cheap, but that's another story. So I kind of knew that I wanted to can. And at first, it was only like the cask two-head manual canner so you really so you take two <laughs> cans and you put them up on a thing and they hit a button and they fill up with beer usually there's foam on it so you hit a button and top them off it, it automatically stops because there's like a little thing that just short circuits the the thing it's a super basic design when it, it liquid hits it it short circuits and it turns off the fill so then you top it up with the button and then you take one of those off 
and you put it on a seamer and you grab a lid and you put it on top of it and you hit a button and it raises it up and it seams it and then it comes down and you put it in a little wash thing and then you put it in the six packer or four packer or whatever you're doing and then you do that with the other can and and then you have two beers. So this is designed for big volume. Like yeah, dealers. huge. <laughs> it took a full day to do 100 cases. A full day to a do whole, 100 a whole cases. Day. Wow. So we were like, this isn't fast enough. Let's buy another one. <laughs> so, yeah. so that we had two. Well, so what's we your could, CapEx budget? Uh, we don't have we one. We don't have one. So, <laughs> I mean, and these things were, I mean, they weren't cheap, but they weren't super expensive. I think they were like 20 grand a piece or 17, something like that. At that point in time, we were only making Pine Belt. So we got two of them and we're like, oh, we're the big shit. Now we can make two pallets a year, you know, a day. And then luckily we had this, you know, when Bombshell took off, it took off like a rocket. We were able to to pay for a, a wild goose. And we've got the second wild goose ever made, the wild goose 250. Still uh, using the same one? Still using the same one. Really? Heavily, heavily modified. Good Lord, we buck with that thing. I mean, it's got all kinds of modification on it. Well, this is an interesting question. So we, I started using automation last year as a Maheen six-head bottle mm-hmm. filler with an inline labeler. And I would say on average, when we're running that thing weekly, we buy a part for it every four weeks at least. Oh, yeah. yeah. How often are you having to buy parts for this thing oh, at this man. point? I mean, life? we replaced one yesterday. Uh, but, I mean, it was a tiny little part. But we just I, – I tell my guys, I was like, I, I want a whole nother fucking machine in that cabinet over there. Four yeah. parts. Because it pisses me off. Nothing pisses me off more than having to shut production because you're missing one little Festo fucking screw in, you know, a, a hose holder. I get furious when that shit happens. When we're shut down production because we have a dollar twenty part that's, you know, that, that we need. Yeah. It just pisses me off more than anything. The last so, one, I had a, a speed valve that had gone out. It's got a three-part thing on it. And I took the thing apart. I opened it up and I cleaned it and I looked inside and I tested both sides in and out and, and everything was working fine, but somehow it wouldn't work with the computer. I called, it was $200 to replace it. I brought it in. I still don't understand why it was broken, but the new one works fine. So well, there you go. There you go. You know, a lot of times your part breaks and it's like 700 to $800 or some, a couple of thousand dollars. Uh, that really sucks. Um, luckily my plant engineer, He's a uh, he's a he's a veteran and he he fixed Apaches in the army. So um, <laughs> no big deal. So he's pretty good at fixing shit. Um, Are there missiles on your cannon? Right. Your cannon no, line? there's not. There's not. But he could put some on there if you really wanted to. Uh, so yeah, that thing's all all decked out. When they first sold us. They're like, you're getting about 24 cans a minute on this, and we're like, okay, cool. So we're running 48. Uh, so we're running double speed, yeah, because it's just so modded out, and it runs good. Is it ideal? Absolutely not. But it, <laughs> you know, it, it's a packaging line, and you're always going to be pissed off at your packaging line. I don't care who you. Are. I mean, I, I've worked on packaging. I've worked on Crohn's, you know, stuff. You're still mad at them. At some right? point, they're never doing what you no, need. No, they never. You yeah, you'd be like this fucking machine. You know, it's like that. We do witchcraft and all kinds of shit to make that thing work back there, and you know, blood sacrifices and just all kinds of things to make uh, the beer flow. Which is pretty good. I got a wizard running it, so it's uh, <laughs> you know, so you know we we make do, we make do. You have a nice little magic wand. No, no, it's yeah, uh, yeah no, it's just straight up chaos magic. Well, so the the can thing, obviously, you did not start with cans. You started with bottles. Nope, start with cans. Did you really? Okay, yep. but so black crack is one I want to talk we, about. We went <clears throat> to bottles for that, and then we went back to cans. We did bottles for a while. It was such a small run back then. There was no such thing as shrink wrap cans and I couldn't even get brights uh, when we started doing that so I was like how am I gonna how am I gonna make this beer small batch beers that I can't buy cans for so I 
enlisted the help of uh, my friend Richard, the guy that was that made me the pipes that connected the first brew house. I actually knew him from back at St. Arnold. He'd done some work. So Richard can build damn near anything out of stainless steel. So I said, look, this is what I want. And I said, I want this bottling line or this bottling thing. And I had two like, you know, like home brewer bottle gun, like, you know, little things built those. And I had this pulley that, that you, <laughs> you'd lower it down. You'd set the bottles in the bracket and you lower it down and it'd sit on it and then stopper it up. And then I had little things where I could purge it with CO2. So it was a counter, it was a homemade yeah. counter pressure bottle filler, which was amazing. It was super cool. And then when you pulled it off, you had to ding it on the side with a screwdriver to get it to fob and then you stick it <laughs> and then you stick it in the you stick it in the lay uh, the uh the the uh the capper you know so but uh and, and, and again i'm sure so, there's no video on youtube anywhere of this. no I there's wish not there uh and it would take two the the, the machine still exists alan ward at brigadier brewery at the renaissance festival has it i'm thinking about asking him to borrow it back <laughs> so because we're, we're fixing to start doing mead so i was like i want to ah. bottle some stuff like that it would be perfect for that I could have Richard build me another one, I guess. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm curious about how that reformat worked, right? So flashback to the Texas craft beer scene, and it obviously was early, and it was uh, at the time when there were very few beers that were limited that you would line up for. But Black Crack was one of those beers. Yeah. That was definitely a beer that I I remember every year when it came out. Uh, you know, much like what's Black Friday is the Goose Island yeah, one that yeah. it lines up for. <laughs> And then when you reformatted to cans, I'm curious if that had changed because of the cans or did the market obviously change? The, the, it's because of the can technology had changed. The uh, wrapped cans were a thing. And we said, you know, let's just do that. We can run through the line. Our line, we've uh, one of my investors is is a machinist. He's a really, really good machinist. So it's it's nice because he can make us things, spacers and whatnot. And, you know, and, and he's used to working with, you know, very precise stuff. So we can change our line from 12 ounces to 16 ounces to 19 twos you know not everybody can do that pretty pretty pretty, pretty easily um we're no longer doing 19 twos right now but we might you know man can you imagine a 19 two of 13 percent need yes amazing i just imagine shotgun in that (laughs) (laughs) we got death sentence but uh one thing that we found with the cans we started coming out with the cans and man i had to fight because it's like there was this local there's this local place i love conroe so don't get me wrong I, i do this is my home our, our city has embraced not only us, but all the other breweries here. There's three breweries, a meadery and a winery and a distillery just in Conroe. Conroe's a bitch in place. It really is. It's super cool. But there was this place out on the lake, kind of Bubba-ish, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's been old. I think it's up for sale now. And I love getting kicked out of bars like when I went <laughs> on a sales pitch because I'm not an asshole. I saw your last question. is like, who's a bigger <laughs> asshole? We'll talk about that later. So I'm not, I'm not really an asshole. But, well, that remains to be seen. But, I'm, but you know, I went in there and I was like, hey, we're a brewery, you know, right over here. You'd like to carry our product. He's like, we don't carry beer in cans. And I looked around. I was like, your fine establishment doesn't. I mean, this is shithole. I was like, your fine establishment doesn't carry beer in cans. <laughs> no. I was like, Foster's is, you got Foster's. That's in a can. Well, that's the only thing it comes in. I was like, that's the only thing that ours comes in. He goes, get out. <laughs> so I was just like, all right, cool. I also told somebody, he said, that's twice as much different place. But he said, your beer costs twice as much as Bud Light. I said, but it's four times as better, so you can value. <laughs> that's, a, that's a discount at that I point. Get, I get kicked out of there, too. Um, <laughs> but um, so We'll have a whole podcast follow-up on all the places Dave's been kicked out of. That could be fun. No, those are pretty much the only two. So we had 16-ounce cans, and then I realized that you could super capitalize on shelf space if you went 12-ounce cans because then they can stack two on top of each other, and suddenly you have twice as much product on the shelf as – as a six pack of long necks. So that's, and I think that's when it really took off. I think when H E B realized that 
because at that point in time, some people were starting to can and they realized that that logistically was like that because a lot of them were smaller distributors that, you know, weren't there in the store touching beer every day. So that was actually my next question. If you had seen that, so I run into that with my, we do bottles and I love the fact that our mixed culture beer is in bottles and I think it presents better and Mm -hmm. stores better and ages better. It's just empirically better, except for the fact that it doesn't deplete as quickly as cans do. And one of the things that we've seen is that so on the same shelf that would fit uh, essentially an, a half a case or a whole case of, of cans, we're fitting three, four packs of our beer, sometimes four. Mm-hmm. And so if they load that in on a Monday and the last time it got merchandise uh, maybe was Thursday or Friday, right. there's a really good chance that all day Sunday that it's going to be empty, yeah. um, especially at some of the big retailers that don't merchandise themselves. Right. And so with cans, do you see that issue less or I think you do see no I think you see it uh, you see it a little bit less I mean you sometimes you'll still get full depletion but that's a good thing you know because yeah. then you just sold a case and a half of beer in you know in, in two days you know or three days we have our brand reps that try to go out and police some of that then we've got our distribution reps that try to go out and police that too so a lot of the times if there's beer in back stock you hardly ever run into that I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm shit. I go merch every place I see, you know. So, um, especially on holidays, that's when you run into it the worst is on holidays. But I, but you're still selling twice as much. So, I, and I, I think that that was really kind of the driving factor. And I think people. I mean, we did some of the legwork, but the way was coming. You know, we just jumped on it first. You know, we used to have first can craft in Texas on all of our cans, and we're kind of steering away from that because really nobody gives a fuck. You obviously do. You know, eh, you know <laughs> and now and now I really don't care too much anymore. Now we've got you know just different shit on the top of it you know i mean you can only be first at something to brag about for so it wasn't even bragging i mean it was just um you know we just happened to do so and i wanted to do it because i thought it was cool that's marketing though at some point you take you take advantage of the wins you have yeah right? so. yeah yeah you, you do i like it for a lot of different reasons um first and foremost i like it because all of our cans are made less than a mile from here which is super cool really um, yeah so we've got a connection with the people that manufacture our cans uh, the plants like literally right over there it's it's a mile that way and they're cool people and we're keeping money in the local economy and i'm really about that so during the covid can conundrum did you guys run out nope no we did not <laughs> that's the secret big friends for the can yeah, guy. that's the secret big friends i'm not going to give you anybody's phone number <laughs> yeah make secret for the can guy and hell i can even get um you know I periodically get blanks too, which is those things are like worth their weight in gold sometimes. Yeah. That's but, cool. But like I said, I've got, I've got a half a pallet of little cow cans in there. They can just repurpose. And I've yeah, done just that put too. Labels on them. I've yeah. done that too. And you know, and during the pandemic, nobody gave a shit. They were like, yeah, I get it. You know, right. <laughs> they weren't the nicest looking things. But Everybody fine. was doing it then too. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about distribution. Okay. You have kind of had the same distributor the whole time in Texas, right? Sort of. Um, I mean, it's complicated. Uh, we went with Duff with, um, you know, I was telling you, I think off the off the mic, that the guy that ran Duff, Duff was very small when we got with him. And we were very small. And I interviewed a lot of distributors uh, when we first picked up a distributor. And I just liked him. I liked Ash, uh, Raul, that, that, that ran the place. So uh, I liked, you know, just the gumption that they had. They had some really great brands, but they were small. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get the most attention from this guy. 
and they did a fantastic job. I mean, a little bitty. They used to drive up in these vans that were run by bio, run on biodiesel, and they were doing it because <laughs> it was like dirt cheap. And every time they run into the brewery, it would smell like egg rolls <laughs> because they got their biodiesel like from like wow from Chinese food grease traps, pretty much, which is amazing. So I'm like, yeah, I've been to this. This is uh, this is where I need to be right now. Well, that was here. Um, so in, in Wimberley, I actually saw them make a delivery in a 15 year old Honda Civic. So oh, that'll work too. That'll work too. So, uh, so yeah, I uh, I went with them, and then um, you know Ash was he was always like because we talk about you know did you ever sell out because they were distributor acquisition was then and still now a very real thing, and he was like man I'm not gonna sell out. I was like dude, you're telling me that you can't put enough zeros behind a, a number one, and you would say you know you wouldn't say all right that's enough. And he was like, well, I don't know, you know, and then, you know, yeah, no later, one actually offered it until they did. Well, yeah. Months later, he was like, man, we sold. <laughs> I was like, and I just laughed. I was like, I figured you would, you know, we had a hot commodity and, and, uh, you know, you're on the up and up. So, so he sold. Unfortunately, he was shot and killed not too long after that. So lost a really good friend there. Yeah, I actually have never heard anyone talk badly about that guy. You couldn't. There was nothing yeah. bad about him. That guy was a fucking badass. Which was, is weird for distribution. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, but but I, you know, like I said, I was saying off air, I, so we'd hang out together and giggle. It was like, we're not supposed to like each other. We're not supposed to be hanging out to each other, you know, with each other. Because it was like distributors, and especially in the old days, and, and still now, I guarantee you, it's contentious. Your, your relationships are contentious. You've got a company that pretty much owns your ass and you you know they've got your distribution rights and you can't even distribute your beer anymore if you sign with them they've done some really shifty shit i mean there's there's the laws are now you can't sell your distribution rights to them but they can sell your distribution rights to somebody else without your consent, I mean, without your yeah. consent. and i mean it's just it's shifty as shit but i've had the benefit of working the same group of people they sold the favorite brands and um and i've has it always been, you know, peaches? No, it's never going to be. You know, you've got two companies that have two different goals. But, you know, I, I focus on the goals that we have in common, which is sell our beer. And so, you know, we've we've always taken the approach to where, like, our mantra is our distributor is our first customer. So we treat them as our first customer. We're married to them, too. It's almost like a marriage. If you want to fight all the time in a marriage, you're just going to make yourself and your partner miserable. And then your kids will grow up to be shitbags. Yeah, I know. You don't need yeah, that either. Yeah, yeah. So, and luckily, they're not abusive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? They do their fair share of the load. So, it's, it's been a happy partnership for us, for sure. Well, so that's an interesting question. And unfortunately, there will probably be some follow-up uh, episodes coming. We have to break down some of the sadness of uh, when a distributor goes out of business and, like, how that's hurt us. Absolutely. And, and I can tell you that I've experienced... Uh, I think three distributors going out of business and I will probably have another one. But by the time this airs, one of my other ones will have been sold that, that tremendously impacts our bottom line. Oh, there's, I imagine there's always a silence in the market. And, and, and ultimately uh, when blue bonnet went out of, or stopped selling beer during COVID effectively went out of business, we still have yet to recover fully. Yeah. Uh, not even close really from where we were. Obviously the fact that you're still with your distributor, you're still, a successful brewery means that you have figured out, in a sense, maybe not perfectly, but you have a system for which to manage that relationship. What I, tips I could you give? Like, what do you what do you do? Do you sit with them monthly, and do you have goals that they actually try to achieve? Like, what is what is it that makes the relationship work for you? You know, the biggest thing that makes it work for me is getting to know those people and and spending time with those people and getting to trust each other. You know, it, that's really what the the thing is about it. Is I 
I, I trust several key players, and I, I, I trust them. I really do. And I guarantee you there's brewers out there rolling their eyes going, you naive fucker. <laughs> uh, and maybe so, you know, maybe so. I don't know. But uh, but I know for a fact that a lot of people in that company and a lot of higher up people in that company know me and love me and love my kids and love my wife. And, and we hang out together and we spend time together. Now, when push comes to shove, business decisions have to be made. I get that. But, you know, it's that level of, of trust to where I don't, I'm not neurotic about thinking, you know, are, are they, you know, behind my back fucking me? Cause they're not, you know, it's just like, I know, I know sometimes I might not be their f- first on their mind um, because they're also married. I mean, they're, they're giant polygamists. They're married to everybody. You know, they're married to all these different brands and um, all distributors are. And so, you know, sometimes you got to hop up and down and wave your arms around and say, Hey, remember me, remember me. But Building that level of trust and communication with people. So it's like, I won't have any problem calling, you know, a higher up with, uh, with our distributor, hell, sometimes an owner and saying, Hey, we're really struggling right now. Is there something that you guys can plan out? Cause we really need some cash flow. Uh, and they'll make it happen. It's not a one way street though. Conversely, it's like, you know, I'll make it usually my policy not to buy back beer, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm like, you bought it. Right. But I also make it my policy not to force my beer on them and say, come on, man, you got to buy these two. I'm sitting on this, you know, I'm sitting on 200 cases of Mama Rosa right now. I'm going to end up dumping down the drain. But I don't want to sell it to them because it's just going to get fucking old on Marketplace and then somebody's going to have it and think it's shitty beer. It's a give and take, you know, and, and right now we're kind of stacked up a little bit. Everybody's got logistic supplies uh, or logistic problems, supply problems. And right now we run some very complicated scheduling wheels. Uh, we've got you know rotating beers that come and go every two months. Well, when one of them's even two weeks late, you've cut out a quarter of your sales time, and then they start piling up. It's in my best interest to help them move their product to their warehouse, and if that means me incentivizing their people to sell beer financially, then I will. You just got to be realistic about stuff, and I think that that's the whole thing. Is like if you're going to be in distribution, remember first and foremost. Your distributor is doing the things you're paying them to do the things that you don't want to do because it is a pain in the ass to distribute your own beer. It's like running a whole nother business. You've got to have a fleet. You've got to have insurance. You've got to have money. You've got to manage people. And it's just like, I don't want to deal with that shit. I've already dealt with dealt with it before. Yes, you get more money. But if you don't take into account how much it costs you in the first place, you could lose your – got to run two businesses. Correctly. You, you get it's more hard, margin, but you may not be the best, necessarily yeah. the best investment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to run one business. You run two. So, yeah. you know, especially, you know, a brewery business. So um, I'm a big fan of, of distributors. And, you know, it's like they, they earn their margin in, in, in my mind. I mean, they manage yeah. it. They earn their margin. And, uh, and I try to help them sell more beer. Like I said, that they're my first customer because if they don't move my beer, it doesn't matter because I don't have a way to bring it to market. Probably a different perspective than you get from most, uh, most people in this industry because it's so easy to blame somebody else for your shit not working right. And I think people do that shit all the time. They're like, oh, it can't be me. It's, it's, it's them. Yeah, and it's well, usually the, the relationship is challenging <laughs> too because a lot of distributors aren't super transparent. And so yeah. – um, ours included, you yeah. know, but it's, it, it, I think it, it's just the inherent way they're set up, you know, cause if I ask for a report, they'll give it to me, you know, if you bug them enough. Now I've got distributors that aren't favorite is not my whole Texas distributor. I've got five different distributors in the state of Texas. You know, some of them are way better than others. You distribute outside the States. We distribute pretty much in Alabama 
And then uh, we still do really well in Alabama. We used to distribute all across the Southeast, but then when competition came, you know, the Southeast was kind of the last frontier that didn't have a whole lot of breweries. So we were spread out across the Southeast. Uh, now we're in uh, New Mexico, uh, very limited with 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 L and F, the parent company of uh, oh of, yeah of uh, of favorite brands, but they only do Southern New Mexico, and there's not a whole lot in Southern New Mexico. I, mean, I think the biggest town in Southern New Mexico is like Las Cruces or something. So it's <laughs> like you know, there's not a whole lot there. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a harsh place. Are you in truth and consequences? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so it'll sound like a random question, but have you ever distributed in Arizona? I have not. I didn't think so. Okay, so let's take a quick breather, and when we come back, it's about time we talk about fucking online beer reviews. If he were interested in anything his old dad was interested in, my son would say it's something like, y'all need to be fucking with PR. Your booze business is more than just an online profile. Fine, keep doing your limited can release and your meet the beer tender post, but it's time to think bigger than just cheesy marketing. Better. More professional. Brittany Hanning has years of experience turning big ideas into targeted communication in the beverage alcohol business, and her PR firm, Made to Measure Communications can tighten your image with expert services ranging from AI generation all the way to media relations. See, people in this industry love to talk about the importance of branding and media outreach, but don't kid yourself for a second. You need an expert to navigate that stuff. So go to the website at M2MCOMMS, M2MCOMS, look them up in San Francisco, or just ask me for Brittany's number. But seriously, stop screwing around and get your image right today. Online beer reviews. <laughs> okay, cool. These were a huge problem for me, mainly because I had a hard time getting to the point that I could read them and not take it personally, which was my fault more so than it was theirs. That being said, fuck untapped, fuck untapped, fuck untapped. Yeah. So obviously you don't like untapped either. Talk to me about like, how do you feel about the beer advocate untapped and rate beer? How do those things impact your business? And overall, what do you, what do you do with them personally? I think they impact your business a lot. What do I do with it personally? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Kind of an ostrich that way. I just stick my head in the sand and ignore them. Uh, have you always been that way? No. I, and, and But I realized very early on that I have kind of a fragile psyche anyway. So <laughs> if like if somebody's like super negative towards me, I try to you know just cut that out of my life. The internet being what the internet is, is just home for a whole bunch of fucking trolls. And everybody's got their own opinion, and uh, and everybody's just happy to share if they find a platform. And unfortunately, that's their platform. You got to realize that ninety five percent of the people that are posting on these things don't know fucking shit about anything. And that's the whole thing. It's like you, you know, I mean, I've seen them. It's like I don't like IPAs, and then they give your IPA like a one or a two. And it's like, well, the, what the? F- I mean, it's you know, it's 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 it's, it's that it's the shit like that. So. I did with that with with the the beer reviews. I mean, can I take constructive criticism? Absolutely. Have I ever seen true constructive criticism on rate beer or or beer advocate or untapped, especially? No. You know, I see. And I'm not going to try to. You know, I shouldn't call people names because I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but you know, it just seems like people are snarky and people can be douchebags on there, and they're just like you know. And and, and to compound it, they've probably had four or five beers before they do that. So it's like, what other platform do you have where you can get drunk and rate things, and you know, and 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 then there's all these weird little awards and shit that you know that, that badges, for yeah, badges stuff, yeah. And, and stuff like that. So I'm just like. I mean, can it be used as a tool? Yes. I mean, are the, the highest rated beers on there good? Yeah, they are. It's not just mine. I've seen a lot of beers on there that are damn good beers that are just unpopular styles that, you know, because the craft beer drinker, and I, I did this too, 
<laughs> goes through several stages. They start not knowing much about what beer is. And then they know what beer is, and they know it is like thin, watery American lager with not a whole lot of taste. And then they rebel like a teenager, and they go for either the heaviest, most alcoholic, or the hoppiest, or the darkest, or sometimes all three combined. And then they ride that rail for a while. Then they start getting esoteric and start getting like just tasting all kinds of weird shit. And they're drinking, you know, beer made with beard yeast and stuff like that. And then, you know, then they go through, you know, sour things, fruity things, hazy IPAs. They they ride the trends. But then you're in it long enough, they circle right back to loggers, you know. And they're just tired at that point. Yeah, they're just tired. Well, then they realize, you know what? Beer's pretty good. You know, just regular good old beer is pretty good if it's well made. I think they they end up back there. I know I have. I mean, I drink all kinds of different shit, but my favorite beers to drink are. I mean, I've always been a Germanophile. I love German lagers. I mean, that's just my. I think that they're well made. Almost quit brewing when I went to Germany because I had their beer and I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. <laughs> you know, I was like, there's, I'm like, I felt like a little kid playing around, you know, in a field of you know grownups. I was just like, oh my god, you know, what am I doing? Um, and seriously, almost came back and just changed professions. Um, <laughs> what would you have done? I don't know. That's why. I, that's why. That's why I didn't. <laughs> yeah, there's not a, not a lot of like guy strip clubs out here. In there's Congo, not. So yeah, no, no. It would have been really limited. I mean, I, I already spent my day giving hand jobs under the bridge to raise money for the brewery. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Well, that's not in the book. Yeah, that's not in the book. <laughs> but you admit it, you know, everybody does that to raise money for breweries. At, at some point, that's yeah. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think they serve a purpose. I mean, I, I think that they do serve to turn people on to new places, new new beers, and, and give you something to do with your hobby. You know, like social media, I just saw it as, as getting super toxic. I, like I said, I'm a little fragile anyway, so I kind of pulled back from that. I'm like, uh-uh, not, I don't need this in my life. I don't want to obsess about this. So I don't. So I just don't look at them. I haven't looked at I haven't looked at any of those apps in two years. Well, good because that's going to make the next segment really fun. So, you ever have anybody respond to your Google reviews? When I write reviews for different things? No, when on your page. Oh. So I went and looked up both your Untapped and your Google, and I would like to read to you one of the stupidest <laughs> Google reviews that you have. <laughs> Amazing, cool. <laughs> you on Google, you have a one star review, sweet, which means it's bad, right? Yeah. Like, well, it's not good for Southern Star. You don't want a one star review, right. and. He only said one thing. He's only got one sentence, one comment on the one-star review that could potentially cost you money and tell other people they shouldn't come here. And it says, and I quote, Pablo Perez, I haven't been in this place. <laughs> Thanks, Pablo. I, I would like to tell you that I made that up, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pablo. No, that should probably be addressed by a team of people more intelligent than me or at least more socially savvy than I am. That That's amazing now. I've never – I have not been to this place, one star. And then – just for fun, I'm going to have you read these next two. Oh, sweet. Just right on the top uh, there. So, uh, so your first one was – on. these are both on untapped. So okay. it's 3.5 caps. Jeff C. is drinking Oktoberfest by Southern Star Brewing Company. Oktoberfest by Southern Star Brewing Company. Light on the typical Oktoberfest taste. Very malty with limited sweetness. I'm not a big Oktoberfest beer fan. That's what I was talking about. <laughs> so and I'm not really sure even how to rate that, right? Yeah. So he says he told you whether your beer was good or not based on it being an Oktoberfest. And then told you he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I like uh, I like light on the typical Oktoberfest taste. So you might not see why I put the next one in there until you get to the end. Yeah, but read, yeah, read yeah I just looked. Two caps. Ken V is drinking Oktoberfest by Southern Star Brewing Company at Untapped at home. Where do you buy it? Uh, hey, oh, he purchased a total wine. <laughs> 
in, in Tucson, Arizona. Nice. Um, <laughs> there's a really good chance that's not your fucking beer. Yeah, there's a that's real good somebody chance somebody else's Oktoberfest. Yeah, and you know what? Their Oktoberfest is what what can be. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, my biggest argument with Oktoberfest is these are aggregate scores. So your overall score for your beer, if you go on Untapped, is going to be lower because of that guy who incorrectly checked it in. Yeah. Thanks, guy. Thanks, yeah. Ken. Yeah, uh, thanks, Ken in Tucson. Nope, never been in Arizona. Uh, I mean, we are with Total Wine, and theoretically, they could have shipped some to Arizona, but that would be illegal, and yeah. I don't think they did that because Over I have state to be. Lines? I no, know. I got to be registered in the Total Wines here, and I personally register with every Total Wine to activate my beer in their system. Yeah, they have a, I've a site. Never board. ever activated in Tucson. So great job paying attention, Ken. I like this next one, though. Daniel G is drinking the Bombshell Blonde by Southern Star Brewing Company and untapped at home. 4.75 caps. Thanks, Danny. He says, you see Little Miss Bombshell right there? Yeah, that's my soulmate. This is the beer that birthed me. The beer that made me the crazy good old boy some bitch I am today. Number one in my book and in my heart. I have to express a little bit of envy. I've never had an untapped check-in like that. That, love, guy, that guy loves your beer. Dude. I love you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> you come up here, I'll buy you a beer, dude. <laughs> that's fantastic. I'm glad yeah. you see. I mean, and that's what I miss out on, too. Uh, my favorite are, um, and they don't happen so much anymore because people have online forums, but when we first started, people would call the brewery and we'd have a timestamp, and they call it like two o'clock in the morning. And they'd be drunk as shit. Just tell you how much they love you. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> like, I love you guys. You guys are the best. You make because oh man, you made my beer feel so good right now. <laughs> I'm just like, that's awesome. And then sometimes they just rant and is like, are you even speaking in English? Because they'd be so drunk. Yeah. It's, but you see that on Untapped too, or yeah. like, I truly don't know what this person's trying to say. I have no idea. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Those are fun. Yeah, so. those, those are a lot of fun. Yeah, I, that, maybe I sh- maybe I should look on there a little bit more. You know, it's funny though. So I read things and I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know, I, they, it doesn't bother me. Well, I will tell you, in preparation for the show, just so just so you guys at home know how much work I actually do going into this, it took me about 45 minutes sorting through all the online reviews to find the good ones that I shared with you. <laughs> nice. So it's a waste of your time, Dave. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> Leave it to guys like me. So a few questions sorted to round it out. I mean, the obvious one. Guy walks up to you and says, I want to open a brewery. You've made it pretty clear that you don't necessarily think he should, but what are you going to tell him? I'm going to tell him, uh, are you sure? Um, how much money do you have to waste? I'm going to tell him that the market is super flooded right now, that it's incredibly hard to open up and maintain a business, a brewing business anywhere right now, in this, you know, at least in my area of Texas. You know, Maybe they found a, a secret place that doesn't have one. <laughs> I mean, I've got a friend of mine that um, that is opening – He's open up a brewery. He's about to retire and he's got plenty of money that he's retiring for. And he's like, look, I just want to do this for fun to, to do this. He travels a lot. He's like, I can't see like hanging out with my wife all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, so he's doing it to have fun and get away from his wife and, and just break even. I said, this is perfect. You know, perfect. Absolutely. And he's wanting to do it out in East Texas where the market's tough, but not saturated, you know? So I'm helping him pick a brew system. You know, I'm like, dude, get a three barrel, you know, get something small. And if you don't worry about making money, you know, just serve your beer on premises and, and good. So there's, there are models that will work out there. There's way more models that won't. Yeah, I would say at the very least, wait. At the very most, have you considered distilling? <laughs> I don't know. The craft distilling market's kind of filling getting, up yeah. too. Yeah, you better hurry. And uh, you have such a problem too. Like I have a buddy of mine who's actually opening a uh, distillery or he's in the process of getting the investors and he has the whole business plan together and he's been distilling a lot. And 
really when you get down to it, it's almost harder because yeah. if you think about what makes vodka taste like vodka, it's nothing. Like the whole concept of vodka is there's nothing there. Yeah. So it's all marketing. It's all your, your girls at the bars buying shots for yep. people. Like it's such a challenging business. I don't I don't know where I would send somebody personally. I would look into the TAC business. There you go. You. Yeah. Uh, there's um, no, and not not the not the uh, the vape uh, the the um, the CBD business because that's saturated too. But just wait for weed to get legalized and get into that. If you want something that you think's cool that uh, people are going to like you because you make them feel good, that's the that's the next frontier. I would say you know if you've got enough money to open a brewery. Put that bad boy in a uh, a medium interest bearing account. Put in cryptocurrency put, at this yeah, point. Yeah, put in crypto. <laughs> Just do something else with your money right now because uh, you're probably going to lose a bunch of money. You know, we were talking you know, kind of offline about that there's not a whole lot of profitable businesses. And there's not in the brewing industry. It's, it, making beer is an incredibly hard way to make money because – just when you start getting good and your sales go up, you, know, you start out paying your people nothing, and then they work their ass off for you. So you feel like, okay, I, you know, these people are like family now because we work all the time together. You got to pay them more and raise them up to you know a, a, a salary or a wage that they can make a living off of. Because you see them struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking packaging guys don't make shit. It's hard, and, and they it's work, hard work their ass off. And once you're an expert at it and you know how to run that machine, you can demand more money from the other brewery across the street That's true. that runs it. That's true has a higher revenue. So it's, yeah, yep. it's tough. In the book, I talk about that. I had three big catastrophic moments where I was effectively out of business. Obviously, we pivoted and we did some things to change that. Have you had any of those? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I had one moment that was the most catastrophic of all. The TBC called me and said, um, you didn't renew your license. <laughs> I thought it was a two-year license and it was a one-year license and I had moved. Uh, it was like it is we, two years now, right? It's two years now, it, it, but it was like when I first started the brewery, I thought it was two years, but your first year is one year. Got in in between something. I don't know what happened, but they had mailed my renewal to my old house and I never got it. Uh, so they called me up and they're like, um, you're effectively shut down. And I was like, is there anything I do? It's like, no, you don't have a license. You have to reapply. Did you stop production? Yes. But I said, okay, can I sell my existing inventory out of state? And they said, yeah, you can. And I had Ash's mother who ran Noble Union Importing, that was big in the beer industry, sell a whole truckload of Pine Belt to Illinois. At least generate some revenue it in the interim. Saved yeah. my ass. Yeah. So, um, so that was, that was one of the biggest, I mean, we were already weren't getting paid, but I had bills to, I had to pay the bills and do all that stuff. So I thought we were done then. That was very, very early on COVID for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're still suffering from that. I'm sure everybody is. I mean, you thought it was hard to make money, you know, normally selling beer, try to do it during, you know, a a time where everybody's, you know, locked in their house for fear that they're going to die for a year and then do it in an environment like what's happening right now where our rates are surging, especially in this county and you have to take precautions to do all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, the whole market's changed. So the tasting room slow down a little bit. Um, it, Oh, it's, it, it was effectively, it was shut down by mandate for part of last year. And then we moved it outside and then they shut that down. And then finally we were able to bring in food trucks because somehow magically, if you had 30% of your revenue from food, you weren't going to, you weren't going to spread COVID. That's, that's science, Dave. I know. I know. It was, it was proven science, you know, that and probably a little bit of theology. 
Um, but um, I've had a couple of episodes. Uh, uh, yeah, you should listen to my podcast episode where I got drunk and yelled at the governor. Um, <laughs> so it's a little, I think I did that twice. Aren't we recording one here in a minute? Like, yeah, we're going to record. I'll one see if I can uh, yeah. step you up on that. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to yell at him anymore. The guy's under the weather now. He's got COVID. So, sure he does. <laughs> so, he's in deep shit. Yeah. So uh, no, I'm not going to kick a man when he's down. No, but I was pretty pissed off about that, and I was pretty pissed off at the way that it was handled. So yeah, I, we almost went out of business last year. Kind of almost went out of business year before that i mean because when you build up a machine like we have and you've got seven salespeople, chain account manager and a director of sales and too many production people and your sales start going down you got to feed all those valves yeah it's hard you have that that, what they call the nut essentially like that base operating expense that yeah and you know and covid forced my hand actually when covid came out i cut half of my staff and I still have half of my staff now. And it sucks, but we're in business because we did that. That was my one of my most uh, trusted people, my dis- distributing partners that, uh, that that I talked to that convinced me to do that. He was absolutely right. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that's he. I, I again, back to the distributor. I think that, you know, I, I do think that, you know, I trust my I'm, I'm in kind of a, I'm in a unique position too. you know, we lead our our, our, our uh, just uh, distributing you know beer sales. So they don't want anything bad to happen to us either. So, yeah, when um, you're the, when you're there, course skew. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. yeah, so that's you know that's that's the thing. There's 400 breweries in Texas. Damn near. How many do you think is too much? Um, that's hard. I don't. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the big guys that have stepped in and and you know and, and look, they're free to do whatever they want to. I think it's shifty that they don't tell you their backstory because that's what really is supposed to sell craft beer. But I guess not. I mean, it's it's you know it's American. Do whatever the hell you want to. But if it was, if it wasn't for Carbach and um, you know and, and that sold and like Revolver or, or uh, is it Revolver that yeah. sold and some of these bigger places that sold and they're just getting funneled money into. I mean, look, I don't have a problem that Carbox made at the Bud Plant now. You know, at least you know you, you do the math. You look at it, you're like, oh, huh. I've been to Carbach. They don't have a bottling line. You know <laughs> how 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 is that Hopadillo in bottles? You know, it's because they made it at the fucking Bud Plant. That's okay. I mean, that's what it is. Goose Island, all the all the things. I get that. If it wasn't for them, I think four hundred be just fine. Uh, I really do. I think that there'd be a lot of room. You know, ask me. You know, is do I want a level playing field? Probably. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, I ask you, what do you think would happen if I would have called something? You know, Crawford Bach. I would have got fucking sued immediately by the Astros. Oh, I'm sure. I need to put the color scheme on the can too. Well, here's here's the deal. I made somebody was approached me to have a. Um, uh, they were gonna have like a branded, kind of a contract licensing thing, and they wanted me to make a beer called the Twelfth Can for the Twelfth Man at A and M. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I actually I, don't like most of the A and M like kind of like fraternity ish bullshit. But I would drink that one. I don't. Um, cool. You know, and I I really don't either. But I'm an Aggie. Um, yeah, my and, wife was too. And I um, so I made this for this guy. Almost immediately, somebody I put it on tap at the brewery. I made I made a homebrew size batch of this. So I made like six gallons of this shit. I put it on. Within like two weeks, I was getting photos from a law office of that tap on my wall in my brewery, and they were suing us for like twenty thousand dollars from A and M. Yeah. My alma mater. Wow. And I said, exactly how are you suing me for $20,000? was like, well, we want all the revenue from it. All of and, it. Yeah, all the revenue. I was like, cool. I'm, I I will more than happily give you $18. Because right. that's about what I made on this beer. And then they shut the fuck up. But 
now Carbox making the 12th can beer. Oh, are they? I did not oh, see yeah, this. Yeah. No, they're, uh, well, it, it, I don't know if it's come out. I think it's about to come out or it did or there was plans. I've seen it. And they're doing – and that's Budweiser's thing. They're just capitalizing on it. Surprise. You know, yeah. surprise. How do you think that works? Well, so you to know? clarify, I would drink it if you made it. I will not drink it if Carbach made it on any circumstances. Yeah, under I won't either. Uh, you know, and, and let me be the first to say I love the, I love the dudes and the, the girls that work at Carbach. I, I, I enjoy hanging out with them. I enjoy talking to them. They're passionate craft brewers, just like, you know, everybody else in this industry, but their parent comes to a fucking monster. So, um, you know, so, so, you know, I love you guys, but fuck your company. Um, and I, you know, am I saying that out of bitterness? Absolutely. Uh, I am. I'm not going to lie about it. I just, you know, it's, here's what I'll say to people that are trying to get into the, the industry right now. And this is going to sound harsh, and it's only because that there's no room left anymore. But every brewery that starts now is – it used to be that the pie was big enough for everybody. But since AB and, and InBev and, and Miller and everybody stepped up into this game, if you're coming into the, the industry, into the shrinking industry that we have, you're directly taking sales away from the people that are already here. And that's right. you know, that, we're not that, growing. That's what it is. We're not yeah. growing at all. Maybe um, before seltzers we were. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. and like I said that maybe that sounds harsh. And you do whatever you know. You guys do whatever you want to. I I just think keep that in mind. Um, and, and keep that in mind. It's like you're going to come into a pie that's shrinking. It's probably not a good pie to belly up to. Find something different. Well, it's, so it's interesting when, when my first career was fitness, and when I came into beer from fitness, I couldn't. But fundamentally comprehend the fact that other breweries would talk to me because when I was in fitness, we fucking hated yeah. everybody. Well, and we still don't hate it, you know. But, but you know, but now it's to the point yeah. you're like, yeah, sure, open your place, but just don't put it across the street from me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I think you're just getting to that point where there's enough breweries now that it, we don't have that pie in the sky, blue ocean mentality yeah. anymore. Not it, at all. It's definitely tightening up to the point that. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's room for you, but someone's going to have to suffer if yeah. you come in. Well, and, you know, there's another brewery going in, in downtown Conroe uh, here. And like I said, downtown Conroe has one brewery. Downtown Conroe is one, Conroe is one of those old school places we found in the early 1900s um, where it's got a town square and it's remained beautiful and it's vibrant. There's a lot of people, you know, a lot of businesses doing stuff. I think that that business is going to do just fine there, but I think it's going to take business away from, from the other brewery that's there. You know, and right. that's unfortunate because the other brewery that's there has a tiny little tap room, and so is this brewery going to have. But there's a, here, there's enough. I mean, if somebody opened up another production brewery here, maybe so. I mean, there was a time, and it might still be there, that um, that St. Arnold was going to buy B fifty two. Oh, really? That would have really hurt us. Yeah, um, that would have taken stuff away. Would I have put a big fucking billboard on one hundred five saying, "Hey, you know, Southern Star's been in Conroe and." You know, whatever it wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> first to Conroe, first to Cannes. But it might. I mean, hell, but it, but but there might be unforeseen, you know, things too. People might drive, you know, up here, go visit them, and then come visit my place, and maybe they wouldn't have come up here in the first place too. So yeah. I mean, we find that a lot. I, we've been talking about having a. This is just a fancy name for a drinking club. The Montgomery County or the Conroe Alcohol Manufacturers Guild. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> And it's not going to be a guild. We're just going to hang out like one Monday a month. It's just, just poker and scotch just, all night. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the guy that runs the distillery that thought of this. I was like, yeah, who's the cool. treasurer? Do we don't have a fucking treasurer. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. Like, so, uh, so we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be fun if that happens. <laughs> I wish you the best. That should be fun. <laughs> so you alluded to it earlier. So I'm going to ask my final question. Who's a bigger asshole? You or me? 
Well, I mean, I don't know. You don't seem like an asshole, but I don't know you very well. Um, so I, I, I'm not an asshole. I think that if you are a weirdo and an asshole, you're a threat to society. So I just, uh, I, I just, I'll stick with being weird. Like emo, like that kind of weirdo. Uh, no, just I don't know. I've got very eclectic tastes, and I'm a really complicated dude. <laughs> so uh, I just, I like a bunch of weird shit. I like a bunch of nerdy shit. I'm just kind of, I don't know. I've always been kind of on the outside of. Of, uh, of things that's just who i am so yeah, yeah. if you're an asshole and like that then you're most likely just a psychopath so um i'm not gonna call you an asshole but i would say i'm not that big of an asshole <laughs> all right <laughs> well i will say that i enjoyed the hell out of the uh, last couple hours that we spent together i have too um, but this podcast is not about what i enjoy and, and what i'm doing and so more importantly, I think that what you have shared has been invaluable to a lot of the potential brewery people that may want to get into the industry, people who are in the industry trying to figure out what the hell's going wrong in their business, and uh, even just fans that want to know more about you know, Southern Star and craft beer in general. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do it. That's been my pleasure. Um, obviously, it's been a horrible time for you, and I've been I'm dragging you through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Hey guys, I want to thank you for sticking around. I appreciate you spending time with my guests tonight today. A couple of housekeeping things. I want to remind you that my book is available on Amazon, both on Kindle and in the paperback. And you'll see probably about another month, there'll be an audiobook. So if you don't like to read and for some reason you're burdened with loving to listen to my voice, you will get more of that um, in that audiobook. But again, thanks for sticking around and I look forward to the next podcast. Uh, peace out. See you soon. Free play. Media. Media.